This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Stan from A Russian Opinion. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you very much for inviting me over on your podcast. Uh, yep. Hi, everyone. My name is Stan. I have two channels on YouTube. One is a Russian opinion. One is actually Svilinum. It's written in Cyrillic. You probably may not be able to find it, but if you try hard enough, you may be able to. Uh, again, thank you very much for inviting me over. Uh, it's interesting to speak to someone actually from South Africa for a change. So uh, again, thank you very much. I often uh, welcome my guests to the trenches, but I I normally use that in a metaphorical sense, but based on the fact mm -hmm. that you're actually in Russia, it's not really all that metaphorical. Well, I mean, technically we're in the informational trenches, at least I am and a whole bunch of other people I know uh, on YouTube and other platforms, they're in the info, info trenches. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, idea that it may actually come to real warfare. I mean, if to be honest with you and my family, an extended family, they get worried and they were getting worried. And I was telling them, listen, um, if it starts going over our borders and if other countries join up, I don't think we'll have anything to worry about because then we'll all be probably in the same place somewhere. So mm -hmm. like, just don't worry about that point because if it gets to that, sort of everyone's in trouble. Kind of that I just, feeling. I, I discovered you only recently because of that, that one video uh, that went completely viral. And I think there's like literally yeah. seven people left in the world who haven't seen it. Well, I mean, that it would be nice if that was the case. What the interesting part, what I noticed about it is a lot of uh, people from the Caribbean and then African countries that were actually responding to it, which was a surprise and was not a surprise at the same time, because it was a surprise because I didn't expect anyone to respond to it or react mm. to it. This was like one of the first times. And it wasn't a surprise because, to be quite honest with you, um, in the history between Russia and at least African countries, we haven't had a bad history together. In fact, during the Soviet Union, African doctors from various African nations or uh, people aspiring to be doctors were mm. actually learning, I believe, for free in the Soviet Union. I know my mother was actually uh, going to school with a bunch of uh, uh, people from various African countries who were aspiring to be doctors. And um, recently, I mean, I've been working from home, but when I was walking around downtown quite a bit, we there's a lot of African students, actually. And even actually here, you, you see them quite a bit. It's actually quite uh, interesting because in Russia, I'm not used to like seeing uh, black people, basically, because I'm, not, I'm used to them like in Canada and in the U.S. That's quite normal. But here they're coming to study and coming to learn. I remember I, m I met this guy from a French-speaking African country. And he's been here for 10 years and he was working as a manager in some kind of construction uh, firm. And we had a nice little chat and he was really ecstatic about it. But anyway, so um, a little bit about myself. So I am, I was born in Moscow. I was raised in Europe. I was raised in Canada. I've studied in the US. I uh, worked while I was studying in the States, worked in Canada, basically about 15 years uh, over there on that continent. Um, moved back to Russia in 2019, uh, was planning on moving in 2016. It just took a while. Um, finished university twice. So I have my bachelor's in business. I have a, um, MBA as well from university in Malta. Um, hobbies are football. I'm a goalkeeper. I enjoy it. Uh, it's 
most people don't enjoy playing goalkeeper because you know that's the sucky position you're always blamed for everything you have lots of responsibility you don't score any goals usually but it's fun i like it so um you know it's a good time also airstrike paintball uh motorcycling you know things like that just average guy stuff basically why did you end up then in russia well my whole family's here so uh grandparents my brother uh, my mother, obviously. So everyone's here. Um, I have extended family out uh, out east in uh, Buryatia. They're actually all, a lot of them are Asian looking. Because see, Russia, we're very multicultural, actually. We're, we're very diverse. There are, what, over like uh, somewhere around over 130 different languages and dialects, over 180 or 70, I can't even remember anymore, different types of cultures. One of the most cultural regions is the Gistan where they have so many different types of people living together. So um, it's actually quite a diverse, diverse place. Uh, and uh, my family on the Asian side of Russia, actually, a lot of them are Asian looking, just like my grandmother was when she was alive. So you look at her, she looks kind of like a Mongolian, mostly Mongolian Russian mix. So everyone's here. I mean, that's why I'm here. Uh, clearly, you love it there. Yeah. Um, there are difficulties, like with every place. Um, but as far as like kindergartens, schooling, cleanliness, things to do, mm. um, opportunities, yeah, I definitely do. Um, it it it's a very nice place to be. Contrary to what many you know people out in the Western world anyway mm. say um, that we live under some kind of totalitarian government, that's not the case. Um, it's it's incredibly, it's it's very. I'm not going to say small minded. But like, if you believe that uh, without even going here, that someone lives under a dictatorship, well, let, okay, mm. fine. Let me tell you a little bit about the dictatorship that we mm. live in. Um, for every uh, uh, second and third born child, you get an equivalent of, depending on the exchange rate, uh, but uh, around 8,000 US, okay? Seven, 8,000, again, depending on the exchange rate. Um, you can dedicate this money towards paying down a mortgage, towards paying down mm. some credit, baby stuff, you know, um, then there are also monthly payments as well for the first child. If you have three kids, uh, public transportation, at least in Moscow, is free. If you're a, um, a, a pensioner, public transportation is free. Museums are free. Things like that. It's not like a little bit of a 10% discount like they like to do out in the States and Canada. It's actually free. Um, the other stuff is, uh, listen, people think that uh, some people don't have their right to voice their opinion. That's not, that's completely incorrect. When it comes to protests, if you wanted to do a protest, you have to obviously apply for it. And then you get a permit to protest, but most likely you're not going to get it like in the place where you want to make the most noise. You're not going to be allowed to go and close a whole uh, four lane, one way, four lane or five lane, the other way street where the mayor mm -hmm. is, because that's a very big, you close that down. You paralyze a lot of the traffic in Moscow. That's people going to work, people going to school. Um, so no, you're not going to be able to do that there. And that's what a lot of protesters continue to try and do. So um, protests were happening before. Uh, you just have to apply for the same in Montreal, in Montreal, in Canada, you have to tell the cops where you're going to go. You can't just go out and do it. They'll declare it uh, an unlawful protest. And they, they've done so in New York as well. And they'll tell you to go away or they'll beat mm -hmm. you or fine you. So as far as freedom of speech, like if you look at uh, with YouTube, now you can't, but if you were able to look at a lot of the uh, government-funded TV shows, okay, 
political shows. They had people from all sides, people from Ukraine, people from Georgia, people from Belarus, speaking their opinion entirely. And, and you could see them. And some of the things that they said makes, makes your blood boil. And people get pissed off and they're like, why do you keep inviting these people? Kick them off. We don't like them. In fact, mm. on government television, a lot of the opinions that were said, most of the people in Russia hated it, it boiled our blood, but we listened to it and we saw it and we're like, okay, fine. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech. Now, of course, during these kinds of times, because it is whether someone likes it or not, it, it's wartime. It is. It's an info wartime. It's economic wartime. It's sanctions wartime. It's currency wartime. Uh, it's physical wartime as well. Whenever that happens, freedoms get curtailed, no matter whether you like it or not. And then after that time ends, then in my uh, opinion, and it is my idea, and I hope that will happen, that we will get back uh, the right to, you know, if someone wants to go out and protest freely, go ahead. I hope that happens because people should have the right to do so. But in, now in this kind of situation, no, it shouldn't happen because you shouldn't have, you shouldn't allow foreign countries to influence your population by spreading false narratives and false news and everything like that. Uh, on may on uh, social media to get them riled up because i mean with information panic spreads within seconds you say some of the wrong stuff and that's it people start panicking you know uh, people thought that we're going to run out of sugar people started panicking buying sugar and then guess what all the retailers went well why now we have to get more we have a whole bunch of it we just don't store millions of kilos of sugar on our shelves so like why'd you do anyway so we have sugar obviously um, it's just that for a couple of days, they were empty, just like with toilet paper in some countries when COVID just started, or just like with um, some food and produce when uh, we had that with uh, buckwheat uh, in uh, it was instead of just toilet paper, it was mostly buckwheat because we weren't thinking about keeping our ends clean. We were thinking about feeding ourselves. So uh, buckwheat was bought because it can be stored. It's healthy. It can be easily made, boiled with milk, without milk, fried, whatever. But then retailers just filled up the shelves again. They're like, listen, we don't have a problem with logistics. Just stop spending like a hundred bucks on buckwheat and relax. Um, so yeah, as far as that dictatorship, like people, people think that, you know, uh, LGBT is banned here mm. as an organization. You can't pro you can't walk with flags and protests and stuff like that and have a parade. Most Russians support that. And since we're supposed to be living in a democracy, it's supposed to be the rule of the majority. Not the rule of a minority who are like, what, half a percent, maybe even less worldwide. No, the majority doesn't want to see that. And the majority likes the fact that we have a law that prohibits that kind of information going out to kids. So we don't have people, you know, uh, missionaries from that community going to uh, schools and uh, kindergartens and going, hey, have you tried being a girl? Hey, wouldn't it be fun? No, we don't have that. And most Russians approve the fact that we don't have that. And that's it. Otherwise, you in Moscow, I've seen people, you know, uh, holding hands, girls dating. Obviously, they like each other based on how, you know, they're dressed, their hair and how they're acting. Um, St. Petersburg, if you look like if you go there, you see a lot of people from that community. In fact, it even shocked me. Like I'm used to that in Europe. I'm used to that in Canada and in the U.S., but after living in Moscow for a while, I wasn't used to that. And when I went to St. Petersburg for, I think, like a week or so or even less, I was I was kind of shocked, actually. So the fact that, you know, pe people say that it's banned here. We're under a dictatorship. 
you can't have them walking around and being themselves. That's not true. We just don't allow it to be uh, uh, funneled through info, whether it's a flag or a picture, to kids. That's the law. You can't show it to underage children or underage, you know, can't have overage children, but you get the point. So, yeah, essentially, as far as that goes, I mean, we're free to live wherever we want to in the country. I mean, if someone thinks that we're not free because we can't go to, you know, a military base that's super secret and go, hey, I, I want to live here. You know, yeah, we can't do that. It's a military base. But everywhere else, you can live wherever you want to. Hell, you can live in the... In fact, every Russian citizen, by law, is able to get a free... I think it's an acre of land or a hectare. I can't remember. I haven't applied for it yet. But it's been a, a program long running. So a family of four can have four of whatever is in that law. And have it for farmland, have it for uh, uh, agricultural purposes, like uh, for your farmland or maybe for production purposes, have it for uh, like a lake house or a dacha or just to live all year round. You know, people get free land here. Almost free. It's basically, it's very, costs very little. Um, so I don't see any kind of signs during peacetime. I don't see any kind of signs of dictatorship. We had lots of media. But when we passed the law, uh, uh, finding uh, companies and people for spreading fake news, they up and left. I wonder why. But we had. You know, and what's interesting is that my education is pretty mm. much was pretty much still, you know, America good, Russia bad, and everything that America does is exceptional, and everything that Russia does is is evil, commie, fascist, and it's still like that. Can I let you in on a little secret? It's the same here. It's changing, but even in Russia, that was the case. Yep. What do you That's mean? That's the in exactly like uh, the general idea, and this was uh, throughout the '90s, and then it was quite powerful in the 2000s, and then now it's slowly dying, and then we're we're having you know normal patriotism come about again. Um, it was people were educated with the what we call here like a liberal type of education. Um, to hate your past, to dislike your history, to think that everything is good and free over there and everything Russian is bad. I mean, um, 10 years ago, you speak to, or 15 years ago, you speak to a regular person, and they'll be like, oh, everything is, is bad. And still, there's still a lot of it now. Everything is bad. There's no production. Uh, there's no companies. Everything has been destroyed. Uh it's best to move out. That's the be the best thing you can do for your family is to leave because everything sucks, blah, blah, blah. Um, people would project their own situations. And the funny part is you talk to a person who has an apartment that's been completely paid out, no mortgage, who has a vehicle paid mm -hmm. in cash, who has a job, who has kids and, and a wife, and he'll tell you that it, this place sucks, you should leave. And you look at him, you're like, are you insane, dude? You have everything and more. And you and you're and the thing is, people were this this um idea was was driven into the minds of Russians. After the fall of the wall, a lot of things changed here. Um, and unfortunately, we are still we still have that, and we're trying to get rid of it. In fact, uh one of the late this was from 2016 or 17, there was a, a very what we would call a liberal here, but in a bad way. Liberal is not a good term in Russia. And it's like um, 
because it's, it's not a, a person. It's a terrible. Who, it's a terrible uh, term. Tries to make sure that. It yeah, doesn't well, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter where yeah, you are. It's, it's a pretty. In it Russia, doesn't matter where you are. It's a pretty bad term. I mean, it 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 means moving away. It is from, a bad term, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Russia, it means something else a little bit. It's even worse. It's um, yeah. It's almost liberast is what we're called or liberda is where you hate your past, you hate your country, you love everything else outside of your country. If, for example, there is a flood in, I don't know, Paris or uh, Rome. Um, it happens, no problem, nothing. It's not like it, you know, uh, water doesn't go through the drains properly. You know, it happens, it's a flood. Same thing happens in Moscow. Oh, the government's bad. Oh, the whole thing was constructed poorly. Oh, the people taking care of it are idiots. You know, this is the kind of thought. This was the thought process that I'm trying to, this is how these people think, mm. okay? And they even went to the extent where they would say that, uh, one of them would say that uh, to be a patriot now is to be a Russophobe. And this is a, a Russian by citizenship speaking to his subscribers. A very well-known one too. And you're looking at it, you're like, you're telling me that for me to be a patriot of my, of my country, I have to hate everything about myself. I have to hate my history. I have to hate the fact that uh, my grandparents fought against an invader. I have to hate that. Like, and it, it means something else entirely in Russia. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to be Russian, um, not like Russian as a nationality, uh, as a because you have Russian, which is Russian, as a by passport. You have Russian, Ruski, which is a uh, nationality, if you want to call it that. So you have to be a Russian. So you have to have the citizenship. You have to have lived here to understand what I'm talking about. That's all. You could be Chechnyan. You could be Dagestani. You could be uh, Buryat. Doesn't matter. You'll all understand exactly what uh, what it means to be a, a Russian nowadays, where everyone, at least in the West, hates you and. Um, Everyone in the East and other countries are going, yeah, we'll support you, but we'll be silent about it because we don't want to get slapped yeah. as well. But so. it's, I mean, it's not just it's not just the politics. I mean, Hollywood. Holly, I can't think of a single movie going back to my childhood when mm -hmm. the Russian characters weren't, I don't know, KGB and they were always dodgy and evil. <laughs> you know, it, it comes through in entertainment. That's, that's a very tough yeah, it's very, I mean, Hollywood itself, uh, you probably know this, but they uh, they fund movies, and uh, not Hollywood, the, the military industrial complex in the U.S. funds movies. Mm. I mean, a video game, what is it, the America's Army? It was actually made by, well, developed by a Ubisoft or whatever, but it was actually um, uh, an American Army project. So it's not just video games, it's also Hollywood. Of course, they project the idea that Russian bad, American good. Um yeah, I am trying to think of one, um, but I can't. I can't think of a, of a movie where a Russian who's a patriot of Russia character has been either neutral or, or good. It's always like, um, mm -hmm. God, what is that? There's one movie where I just stopped watching. I turned it off. I was watching it with my wife, and she finished it up because, well, she's actually from Bulgaria. She's Bulgarian, um, but it doesn't uh, doesn't you know, touch her the way it touches me, for example. And I was watching it. It was, it was about a spy movie about the, how female spies were trained. Um, and I, I watched it and I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I was like halfway, I just turned it off. I was like, this is BS. This paints us to be some kind of animals that don't care about anything about like human life at all. It, it's like, you know, car design. If you look at cars, they're square, then they're 
uh, puffy and then they're square again and they're puffy. And it's the same thing. History repeats itself. We all go around in circles. Um, and yeah, this has happened with the, you know, protests in Canada with the truckers. Um, here, this is actually quite important. Um, actually wrote his name down. Ken Delaney, he's a national security correspondent for NBC News. He recently uh, said the following, not in these words, but you know when, um, you remember when the U.S. was accusing Russia that we're going to be using chemical agents? Yes. Yeah. So he said, he admitted it. That was a lie. That was fabricated. And the, re the excuse that they're using is that we fabricated this lie to prevent Russia from doing a chemical attack. Do you know how, can you imagine how <laughs> irritating that is? It's irritating because, man, you do this not understanding that you're causing other countries to, you know, put sanctions on our country and uh, hurting regular people uh, with these sanctions, not, not the president, but regular people, um, on a lie. And then you go out there on TV and you admit that it's a lie. Moreover, you're covering it up saying, hey, we just didn't want Russia to do this. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like thinking, guys, you really, you consider your own citizens to be absolute brain dead morons, I guess, because what is the point of chemical warfare? It's been known since it was first used that it does more harm than good to your own troops even. Because you can't control where the cloud goes. You can't control who gets affected. In fact, uh, the only way, the only way that narrative works is if you constantly pump the idea into people's heads that Russians are evil and bad and, you know, we eat little kids and we just, that you have to feed people this narrative and only then it works because then you're going, huh, yeah, that makes sense. They're definitely the kind of people to use chemical weapons on people they're trying to convince to, you know, be with them. That makes sense. When in reality, why would it make sense? Why would we affect our own troops? Why would we use it in areas that, that are pro-Russian? I mean, look at Mariupol. If you look at some of the videos with like Patrick Lancaster, for example. Mm. Um, yeah. And Russell Bentley. Exactly. And, and then other, actually, I don't know Russell Bentley, but there are other ones in Russian speakers as well. That city... You look at some of the, the video footage, that city has been destroyed, mm. possibly beyond repair. It's horrific. But when you listen to what the people who are there, what they're saying, and all of them almost unanimously are saying, Ukrainians did that. The army was parking yes. their tanks. They were yeah. shooting at civilians. They almost unanimously say this. And they and as thank... Of yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't understand why that is. It's always, no, I can't understand. I can. But it's always dismissed as Russian, Russian propaganda. As soon as you have, oh, they're an actor. They're not real. Oh, they're paid. Oh, that can't be. No, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. But it is possible. I have friends. I, I have friends from that area, not Mariupol, but from um, Donbass that right now is under uh, Kiev's control. Yeah. I think that that part is under Kiev. I'm not sure. But they personally tell me what they went through, what their families went through. The person who fixed my ceiling because we had to redo everything, he was from that area. I know people from that area. And I see what happens on the news. I see what happens in YouTube when people like Graham Phillips and uh, 
um, uh, Patrick Lancaster, when they go, when they talk to people. And all of that information combined with the fact that the West always accuses us of doing everything bad. And then they say that we live under the di dictatorship and stuff like that. Um, I see those lies and I see what's being said here. And I'm like, no, th this is the truth, not the lies that spread by the West against us. Now, moreover, fine, let's take those lies and, and use them against that, the, the, the same people who, who spread the lies. If we are under a dictatorship here, uh, if we have a president that you know, hates us and they, and he hates minorities and everything else like that. Wouldn't it be in the best interest not to make sure that we're even more patriotic by putting sanctions on every single Russian that lives here, preventing yeah. them from traveling and seeing their friends and relatives in places, preventing them from um, doing banking transactions, preventing business from uh, fulfilling their uh, contractual obligations with European partners and things like that? Yeah. So that, all they did was they, they made it difficult for us. They, um, they, strength, they technically, long-term, they strengthened our economy. They just don't see yeah. it yet. Um, and they've uh, well, pissed yeah, everyone I off think, against them. I think you, we are seeing it. The sanctions are hurting the West more than they're hurting Russia. Yeah, yeah, they are. And in, in fact, if you look at the uh, exchange rate, it's better than before. Before the right before the war, it was around 83, 90 for mm. a euro. Now it's like 79 in the bank, 76 sometimes in the bank. I mean, yeah, even, even a, my exchange rate, even my exchange rate mm -hmm. against the US dollar is slightly stronger. No, even that interesting. Um, mm. so yeah, it's uh, because they've they, they basically shot themselves in the foot. They make they're making other countries deal with other countries in their own currency, reducing why the dependency you, on the dollar. Why do you think there's so much hatred? Uh, towards Russia is it because of the Soviet past no there's if you read there's a book by um, actually you can find this book in English um, the author uh, I can't remember what it's translated to in because it's a different translation in English I think it's a 1000 year war I think that's what it's called but the author is Gimeta. he's a Swiss with Russian citizenship and um, he wrote uh, he writes about all the hypocrisy that goes on and how if one thing happens in the West, it's good. If the same thing happens in Russia, it's bad. And it's been happening like this over many, many, many years. It's just nonstop. And um, recently I had a I had a breakthrough in, in thought, I guess, if you want to call it that. I had an idea that came to my head. An epiphany. An epiphany, you can call it that, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, we're 148, 146 million, depending on who's counting. Mm. We live on the, in the biggest country on the planet. Most of the territory was done not through warfare, but most of it was through peace, peaceful means. We had uh, uh, a war with um, uh, back in the day between the Tsar and the uh, leader of Tatarstan. There was one. But I mean, now if you go to Kazan, they have uh, their own Kremlin, their own Kremlin, with a mosque and the Orthodox Church side by side. It's beautiful. I was there. I have a video. I even shot it uh, with a drone. So, um, uh, uh, sorry, yeah. a church and a and a mosque right next to each other. Yeah, they're right. They're right next to each other. You have to send that to me. That's that's amazing. Yeah, I'll send you the video link, and you'll see the the footage, and then I'll send you pictures. Maybe I'll put arrows mm. so you see which ones which. But yeah, um, it's a, it's a mosque and an Orthodox Church right next to each other. In fact, um. And I'm going off track a little bit. We might get back to that. But why we're hated, we're a very small amount of people 
we're we're sitting on so much natural, so many natural resources. So much we have one seventh of the world's fresh water in Baikal, one seventh seventh of the entire planet of fresh water in one lake. Okay. Um, we're able to defend ourselves. And you can see that without our resources, with sanctions against wheat, trading wheat, buying wheat, coal, gas, oil, unfortunately, there's going to be starvation. They're saying it now. There's going to be famine, mm. potentially. Europe, their uh, standard of living is going to be decreasing. They're, they might buy uh, uh, liquefied natural gas from the States, but one, it, it takes a while to get everything set up. It's going to be a lot more expensive, which means rising costs, which means rising prices. So mm. uh, Europe is going to get poorer. And no, moreover, you have Ukrainian refugees. You had uh, African and Middle Eastern refugees from before. You're going to get Europe is going to get even more refugees now when there's actual famine, and unfortunately, in uh, uh, other countries, especially in, in some African countries, that's what's going to happen. Unfortunately, I mean, Russia doesn't want this. We're like, listen, you put sanctions on us, and now we have to protect ourselves by saying use our currency because you you freeze our assets. No, but so, that was genius. That was genius. Actually, yeah, it was. I, 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 yeah. Vladimir Putin is without a doubt the world's best chess player right now. Him and his team, yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it it was because they just um, we can't accept euro. You know, we uh, they can't send us euro notes. The they prevented that or mm. dollars. But if you want to buy something, okay, open up a Russian, open up a bank account in Gazprom Bank. Open up a Russian ruble account. You transfer euros into it. We exchange it. You pay. Boom. Yeah. Done. It it's not. Listen. It, it's not just. It's not just about hypocrisy. It it's about mm. um, just not listening. Listen. We're here. We're part of it. We've lived through this many times. Stop mm. stepping on the you know steps of history from the past and redoing things all over again. I mean, we've we've tried. People people bring in these interesting arguments. They're like. Well, do you remember Chechnya? I'm like, do you remember Chechnya? Tell me more about it. They can't because they use that as just, a, a, what is it, like a, a headline of an article. But they don't mm -hmm. actually understand what, like during the 90s here in Russia, we basically had what Ukraine's having now. We had Boris Yeltsin, who was basically an alcoholic. He was just like Poroshenko, you know, um, probably worse because he was a very big alcoholic. Um, Poroshenko actually lost weight, so I think he's gotten better. But, um, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, we had uh, uh, territories splitting away. We had economic default. We had um, people fighting amongst each other. We had civil wars erupting on all of our borders. We had our own civil war mm -hmm. with Chechnya. Both of those wars were started under Yeltsin. And the biggest thing that people can't explain to me who use this headline that, oh, remember Chechnya, Look at Grozny now. It is beautiful. It is one, it is one of the uh, like most beautiful places in Russia now. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's also one of the um, up and coming prosperous. I can't use the right terminology. I'm forgetting it for some reason. Uh, that's Grozny. That's Chechnya. And in fact, Ahmad Kadyrov, who is the father of um, Kadyrov uh, Jr. What's his name? Rahmat. Wow. It's it's late. It's late and my head's not working. But basically, Kadyrov Sr., Ramzan Kadyrov is junior. So Ahmad Kadyrov, 
and uh, I believe Ramzan Kadyrov both fought against the federal government in the 90s. They fought against Russia. I'm going to repeat this again. The president of Chechnya now, or the leader of Chechnya, and his father fought against the federal Russian government in the 90s. Now, if you look at any interview of Ramzan Kadyrov and you see his troops, one, they have Russian flags on their helmets and the Chechnya flag as well. Two, he is 100% behind Putin and he sure. shows it. And he shows it and he talks about it. And that's the point you have to understand. If someone ever tells you, hey, Russians, you have to remember Chechnya or Russians have to remember Chechnya. Well, go look at Chechnya. It's restored. It's beautiful. One of the first things that um, I'm not sure if it was Ahmad or Ramzan Kadyrov did is they built an Orthodox church as well in, in uh, a Muslim, a predominantly Muslim uh, Republic of Russia. So that, that's the point. Chechnya, well, yeah, it was bad. It was horrible. The war in Chechnya was really bad. Um, it affected a lot of people. It affected a lot mm -hmm. of civilians, Russians and Chechnyans alike. But guess what? Guess who put an end to it? Who who managed to, uh, using diplomacy, put an end? It wasn't Yeltsin. It wasn't a clown like Zelensky. Well, he's a comedian. It wasn't a comedian like Zelensky. It was With Putin. high heels. Yeah. Well, that's only one of the videos. Um, there's actually a video of him pretending to play the piano with it with his penis. So um, ah, I saw that. Down. Yeah, there, there's that. Um, he was actually quite a funny guy, to be honest with you. I, I honestly, I feel sorry for him. At the same time, I understand why people hate him. He's a he's he's a murderer, but I feel sorry for him because he was he's loved a by. Mm. He was he was loved by most people. He he really thought that he could bring peace. I I believe that no one no one is going to be able to convince me otherwise, because I it's not that I I you didn't need I, I don't I didn't a, even you I, don't think he was a CIA plant of sorts. You know he could have been a plant, but I don't think he's smart enough to be a plant. I think that <laughs> no, honestly, I think that maybe the people around him, the oligarchs, are working sure, mm -hmm. but they probably chose him saying because he was beloved, he was loved by everyone. Choose him. In fact, they even had a TV series of him becoming president, him being a regular school teacher, literally. You know this, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a regular school teacher and um, uh, he uh, he became president and he started making sure, even I wanted to watch that. I haven't seen it yet, but he wanted to make sure that his country is doing better. He wanted to kick off all the oligarchs and everything. You know, it's as if it was planned for a while and then he becomes president and he tries to bring mm. peace and it all completely falls apart. And that's to me that's that's disappointing to say the Stan, least. Stan, do you? I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway to be more yeah, direct. Sure. Do you think? Do you think Putin's invasion or incursion, shall we say, of uh, of Ukraine uh, is justified? Okay, well, that depends on what you think justified is. I can tell you what uh, is why we in Russia, why most Russians think it's justified. I can, mm, I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah. So we had, um, when, when the wall fell apart and there was a, a vote to break up uh, not just a country of many different republics and many different countries in it, a union, but also three brotherly countries that technically should be one. It's Belarus, uh, Ukraine, and Russia. 
the Russian people, the Ukrainian people, I'm talking about nationality, not uh, by passport. We're basically the same. They've, they've been trying really hard to make sure that we're different, but we're basically the same. We, we are. In history, we are. Even some people say, well, Kiev was first. Kiev and Rus, no, actually, it was Russian uh, Tsars that actually created that. They, they came from other parts in Russia. So, and, and that's technically a part. It's a period. It's not a city. It's not a country. Kiev and Rus is a period in time. It's not a country. Anyways, um, back when, after that fell, and after people weren't listened to, because most people said, no, we want to stay in a union. There was like a referendum. Uh, during the... Um, um, uh, when Yeltsin, uh, I can't remember the names now anymore, when they came together and they broke the union apart, afterwards they were asking Ukrainians, I think it was in Kiev, it's like, oh, how, how do you feel about being independent? And they're like, oh, I think we're, we'll be okay, maybe better, we'll be friends with Russia, everything will be fine, we'll be just as before, just a little mm -hmm. bit independent. Everything seemed to be fine. And then there was just a little people, a little small group of people that wanted to do the opposite. And that grew as an idea. And now that idea is mainstream in Ukraine. The mm -hmm. fact that Russians in Eastern Ukraine are uh, uh, subhuman, the fact that uh, they shouldn't even be living there, it should be Ukrainian lands, even though they've been living there for a long, long, long time in history. Um, the idea that a uh, uh, somebody that worked with Nazi Germany, like um, uh, Roman Shushkevich, he was actually, I think he was in the SS, is a Sturmfuhrer, I can't remember, but he he worked for them. Bandera was on their side, mm. sometimes yeah. against, sometimes sometimes for, sometimes against. Um, so that idea that used to be a fringe minority idea, and they say that the Soviet Union was you know totalitarian. Khrushchev basically pardoned all of them. Khrushchev set this. Stalin set this in, into motion because he took Galicia and he put it together with Ukraine. He, he joined them. So he brought that problem into Ukraine. And then Khrushchev brought that problem out of the jail cell when uh, they were put in there for war crimes against Poles, Jews, and Ukrainians and Russians alike. We, we, were, we made that mistake. We said, oh, they'll probably, they'll get better. They'll forget it. They'll be nice citizens. Well, now look at the problem. So now we can fast forward. 2010, Ukraine is split. East side considers themselves Russian-speaking almost 50%. West side considers it considers itself Ukrainian speaking. Uh, they won't vote for one president. The Russian side votes for another. Um, the president that's for the Western side makes uh, uh, Shushkevich, Shushkevich and uh, Raman Shushkevich and um, Stepan Bandera makes them heroes of the country. Now that, that mm. doesn't just piss off the East, uh, people living in the East, Ukrainians and Russians alike. Uh, that pisses off People in Israel, it pisses them off. It pissed off Poland as well. They're, because they made them national heroes. There's, there's a video of the president, Yushinka, making them heroes. It's not like a, a Russian government conspiracy. It's all there. It's all online. You can read it. You can hear, hear the uh, read the translation and hear the language and hear the words being spoken. Then they had language laws. I believe it was in 2012 they made uh, Russian the official minority language. I think there was one of the many official languages. As soon as that government coup in 2014 was complete, okay, they tried to remove Russian as a minority language. How do you mm. think people who were born speaking that language and think it's their own language, how do you think they felt, especially out east when 
the, the president they voted for was removed from office and then people think that he fled first. No, he was removed from office and then he fled. So not only does the person that you vote for, not only is he removed from office that you voted for, but he also flees and instantly they tried to make sure that Russian as a minority language is banned. How do you feel as a Russian speaker? You feel that something terrible is probably going to happen. Because you saw what was happening on the Maidan. You saw how people were acting, uh, what kind of flags they were carrying, who they were supporting. Again, pictures of Bandera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, then, thankfully, nothing happens. That law remains in place because the uh, uh, High Court of Ukraine or something like that, they, they couldn't find a way to uh, repeal the 2012 law. But then they officially did it in 2019. So after uh, the war in eastern Ukraine uh, started in 2014, there was a, a whole bunch of years of heavy casualties, okay? And people say, well, ha, Russians came in. There was No, Russians came in now in 2022. And you, see, you know that Russians came in 2022 because most of western Ukraine said, okay, we're off. They took their bags and yeah. they left. Nothing like that happened in 2014 because the Russian army wasn't there in 2014. The Russian army was in Crimea. They've been yeah. there for and that, years. And, and that's why Ukraine didn't uh, go in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you ask yourself the question, why is Ukraine bombing Russian uh, army troop and troops in, in Donetsk and Lugansk, but they're not touching Crimea? How is that? And Crimea is closer to Kiev mm. than Donetsk is to Kiev. I mean, that it's doesn't because the Russian sense. army is there. It's because the Russian army is there. And I've been mm. to Crimea. It's nice. It's peaceful. It's a wonderful place. The climate is amazing. It's, you can In 30 degrees, you can be in jeans and feel fine. It, I don't know how that works because you're by the sea as well. Um, usually with lots of humidity, you, I can't do it. But it, the weather is just an, amazing. Um, so there's that. And after, after so many people got killed, after Minsk, the Minsk agreements uh, that weren't followed, Okay. After all promises were broken and we were told, yes, 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 we're going to stop. We're going to, um, there's going to be a peace agreement. And even in part of, as part of Minsk, uh, those two oblasts or areas, uh, provinces, they were supposed to mm. be part of Ukraine. With Minsk, Ukraine was supposed to be as a one territory, as a whole, as a country, if they followed them. But they didn't. Yeah. They just kept bombing people. They kept, it was calling like a frog's leap. They were slowly moving the front line over into the gray zone where they weren't supposed to be. They were building more. And the um, in Russian, it's OBSCE. I think it's the OSCE, which is the European body that overlooks, makes sure, uh, records all the violations and um, shootouts and everything that, that would happen. It's like a, um, a watchdog, basically. They mm -hmm. were recording everything. They were saying, hey, the Ukrainian side's firing on the uh, their own people. They, they recorded everything. They saw troop movements. They saw how Ukraine was pushing more and more troops to the front line. In fact, their own government said there was going to be a war in Russia. That same guy, Alexei Aristovich, I think in 2019, he also said there's going to be a war with Russia. <laughs> so it's not like they were peaceful about it. Other people in the mm. government were saying we should bomb Moscow. We should drive our tanks to Moscow. We should retake Kubain. We should retake the south. So I'm getting to it. I know you asked that question. I'm going to, I'm going to get yeah, to yeah. that. Yeah. So... You have that situation happening. Russia has been trying for eight years, seven years with Minsk to try and make sure there's a peaceful transition and, and not transition, but make sure that there's peace in that area and those areas can reintegrate. And then in late 2019, uh, sorry, in late 2021, early 2022, I, I'm not sure what the dates, Zelensky comes out and says, 
we're not going to follow the Minsk agreements anymore. And it's part of their military doctrine, right, to, to take over those areas and Crimea by force. So here, uh, they're declaring. Now, some even some of my friends are saying, well, do you really think Ukraine was going to attack? I'm like, yeah, they were pumped up to think they were that they could beat us. They were pumped up with weapons and motivation and everything and hatred as well. Uh, cough, cough, years. NATO, NATO, <coughs> cough, yeah, NATO. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they were pumped up to do to want to do this, and um, they said they were going to attack Crimea. They said they were going to attack mm -hmm. the Eastern Republics. They said they were not going to follow the Minsk agreements. And then finally, Zelensky at a NATO summit says we want to have uh, our nuclear state status back. And previously mm -hmm. in 2014 and 15, they were there were people in the government who were saying we should nuke Moscow. So you yeah, have that's, this, a, that's a problem. That that's a problem. Yeah. So there's there's some people that are saying there's some people who have this thought process and they're saying, um, well, we should you should have let let Ukraine attack, and then you would look like the good guy. And from our position, oh. it's like, listen, one, no one would believe us anyway. Two, that would turn Donetsk and Lugansk into a massive war zone and people that we were protecting and mm. helping. And lots of uh, people have uh, Russian citizenship there as well. They would be under threat and our other cities would be under threat. So we went, the Russian government made a very, very uh, tough decision to put, they understood there were going to be sanctions. They understood that there was, it was going to be tough. They could have, you know, they disconnected. They did disconnect us partially from SWIFT, et cetera, et cetera. But they still made that tough decision. And even then, even then, uh, they still tried to make it peaceful. They mm. recognized the republics. And there was a big, it was televised. You could see all the different people in the government speaking their opinion, whether they should, we should do it or not. To the president of Russia, they were saying, yeah, we should do this because, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, Minsk is not working. Yeah, Zelensky doesn't want to follow Minsk anymore. And then they made the decision to recognize the republics. Now, once that happened, they stopped shooting. Uh, Ukrainians stopped shooting into Donetsk and Lugansk for maybe a couple yeah. of hours or maybe throughout the night. It became silent. At that point, I thought we may actually have peace. I thought that that's it. This will all be over. And everyone will stop suffering, at least on our side. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know what Ukraine would be doing on their side. But, but then they started firing again. And when they started firing, at that point, I was like, okay, most likely war is going to break out. Mm. And then afterwards, I woke up and my friend, uh, as in my video, my friend was calling me at 7 in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. I was like, this guy never calls. He was my CO when I was in, uh, in the military academy in the States, in a private one, not a government one. He never calls me. He's calling me at 7.30 in the morning. That means war, war has broken out. And I saw it. Yep, yep. We started targeting military bases. Yeah. And even then, even then, we were uh, capturing Ukrainian troops and having them sign a piece of paper and letting them go. Because the general idea, literally, the general what about, idea. What about Azov? Sorry, what about Azov? They also No, they're. They're, they're, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they would let them go. Um, okay. It depends on how many swastikas they had tattooed on their bodies, I guess. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just guessing here. But even then, like they were telling them, sign this piece of paper that you're not going to participate mm. anymore. And they were being let go. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You're capturing them and you're letting them go fully knowing that Zelensky and his people are going to give them another gun and say, go back. 
But they literally thought, and uh, even Putin thought that the military was independent and maybe they had some uh, normal people and they were actually going to, he literally said, hey, you know, take over, overthrow your government, yeah. take over and then we'll settle this and then there will be peace. And that's when uh, basically he understood that uh, he was wrong and his advisors were wrong. Um, and the whole little sign a piece of paper and go go back to your home and stopped, I think. I think it pretty much stopped. I'm not sure, though. But so this, uh, was even a, th yeah. this was essentially a preemptive defensive maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. This was a completely a preemptive defensive maneuver. Many people will say, no, that's not possible. Well, if you look at, if you've been following this conflict for a while, if you look at what uh, they've been saying uh, against us, if you look at all the crimes, I mean, okay, fine, fine. I know we're an odyssey. Most likely this is even going to go on my YouTube because I'll get banned instantly. But, um, <laughs> but how are you going to support a government that not only says that, hey, we didn't evacuate our people because we, could, we wouldn't be able to get our tanks through. So let them be cannon fodder. And we can blame Russia. But even when this whole thing broke out, broke out in the West, they were, I think they were gypsies maybe or something. Apparently they were accused of stealing something. I don't know. But they were tying people to lamp posts. There's tons mm, of videos and pictures. Mm. You're people who are, uh, who are uh, saying that I am just spreading propaganda, look it up. This is literally who you're supporting. You're supporting this monstrosity that was created by, uh, by NATO. These people don't care. For these people, the the ends justify the means. That's all. And that's why atrocities like in Bucha, they're going to continue. And of course, Russia is going to be blamed. And there's going to be fake evidence uh, come out, like with those satellite images. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, there are dead bodies there. What about the um, the shells? Uh, not the shells, the, um, uh, the impacts from shells. What about that? Can you who was who was leaving that place? Russia. Who was shelling Russians? Ukrainians. Why were they shelling us when we said we were going to leave? Why wouldn't they wait till we leave Bucha and then we're out in the mm. open? Shell us there. Definitely no yeah. no civilians there and it's mm. it's it's horrible. And their hands are entirely untied. I've told you this before. Because no matter what happens, Russia is going to get blamed. So, well, guess what? If if I go to another village and I create some crazy atrocity there, <laughs> Germany, France, and the U.S. are going to send me more more Soviet tanks that are going to get going to get blown up on a railway station anyway. But still, the idea here is that a Ukrainian life now is worth ammo and and civilian ammo and bullets and sanctions. What does that do? That makes things worse for any Ukrainian living there, whether they're pro or anti. That it's insane. It, it really is a terrible situation. So, what do you think is going to happen yeah. next? Uh, first, uh, first of all, in a long-winded answer, yeah, I'm part of the eighty percent of Russians that supported this defensive, offensive, whatever you want to call it, maneuver. Yeah, because I'm tired of seeing uh, Ukrainians. In, my grandma's from Dnipropetrovsk. That's under Kiev control at the moment. But I, I'm tired of seeing uh, people killing uh, those who want to speak Russian. I'm, I'm tired of it. So that's the thing. Unfortunately, no one listened to us. Um, so how how is it going to end? Uh, nobody knows. Any any day, anything could be a wild card. Um, 
Yeah, but I'm asking what, you what you think. Yeah. I'm asking what you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, this is what the situation is on the ground now. Uh, Mariupol is almost completely cleared. Um, I think maybe Azov style is where there's the last stronghold of, uh, of Azov. Um, there's a rumor that a, a NATO major general, I think, is caught there as well. I think that's false, but you never know. I mean, there's been stories where the U-2 spy plane was shot over uh, Krasnoyarsk, I think, in Russia, and the pre president um, uh, Eisenhower was denying, I think it was Eisenhower, uh, that was denying that that happened, but we actually captured the uh, uh, the pilot, and we Khrushchev didn't tell Eisenhower that the pilot was alive. And when Eisenhower was saying, oh, there was a, it, was a, it was a NASA weather plane, and... Uh, it wasn't a military spy plane, so it was just an accident. The pilot fell asleep due to de decompressurization, and he flew. And then we were like, here's the pilot. He's alive. You did this. This is not NASA. This is a spy plane in our territory. <laughs> so um, basically, if he's caught, he's going to be shown at his most convenient, at our most convenient time. But I, I, I doubt it, honestly. I, even I doubt that mm. story. So once that's completely and entirely cleared, and even, even before that, troops were moving north. So you have southern Ukraine, troops moving north. You have uh, those troops leaving uh, the Kiev area, uh, and mm. they're going towards the northern line. And then you have sort of almost like a pincer move happening um, around the uh, troops that are in the Donetsk and, next to Donetsk and Lugansk. So... Uh, the, the uh, Putin said that this was to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. So yeah. let's summar let's summarize. Most of their oil and uh, uh, gas depots are almost all gone. Uh, their um, uh, surface-to-air mi missiles and batteries almost all gone. Gone. Their air air force almost all gone. Um, they're uh, asking for help with heavy armor. That means their armor armor is pretty much all done done with. BTRs, uh, T-72s, T-62s or T-60s that they're using. I don't know. That's almost all gone. Um, now what they have, and they they're now they, they've been targeting uh, HQs of the battle groups, I guess, uh, or battalions um, that are out east. So most likely their comms are probably gone. So what's going to happen and, next? Sorry, and, yeah. and, in the, sorry, and in the middle of this, making sure to not kill civilians. Yeah, because... We're the ones that are going to have to rebuild it. We're the ones that are going to have to live with them afterwards. So it is in our best interest to make sure that they're alive. It is in Ukraine's best interest, if they want to get more ammo, to make sure that they're not alive. This is how crazy the situation is. Um, but yeah, so what's what what's try, what, what are they trying to accomplish? Um, encircle that, uh, uh, I don't know, there's 50,000 or 60,000 people um, on on the front lines uh, Ukrainians in the east, and they're trying to encircle that, and hopefully they can do so without them capturing any kind of major city, because then that city is probably going to be destroyed. Unfortunately, because they're going to do the same thing. They're going to go on the top floors. They're going to kick out the residents. They're going to prevent them from leaving um, the mm. city. And but they've been doing gonna... that already. Yeah, they have. But if they do that to another city, like Dnipropetrovsk, mm -hmm. Dnipropetrovsk is gone, and then it's another city that has to be rebuilt and more casualties. So. Here's what I think is going to happen. They're going to be encircled, okay? Because we're not even using the full force of the Russian army at the moment. They're going to be encircled, uh, and 
there, there's one of two ways that this is going to, uh, the outcome. One outcome is that we'll, we'll cut them off entirely from their communications, from their supply lines. And uh, once that army capitulates, then nobody's left to defend Ukraine. Except for maybe the, uh, they call them the, the police. Not, not the police, Terra Barona, the uh, territorial defense. Basically, bandits and civilians with weapons who are not trained to use them. Like, mm. come on. Militia. Mm. Yeah, but even worse, undocumented militia because <laughs> they gave out, and prisoners. They let, they released prisoners and gave them weapons. I mean, if you're going to uh, cause even more, cha- if you're going to uh, have even more atrocities in your country, open up your prisons and give them weapons. Great job, Zelensky. That's wonderful. Um, Where do you think he is? No idea. There's people speculate. I think he's in Kiev. I don't think he's anywhere else. Um, there, there are no Russians have pulled out because, again, it doesn't make any sense for us to hold a territory where there's only uh, a few soldiers here and there, maybe a few uh, battalions, small battalions here and there. We have to go and make sure that that army is encircled so that they can capitulate. That That's one scenario. They capitulate, then there's peace agreements or full capitulation. Mm. Outcome number two, they don't capitulate and they literally fight till the last man because they think, and they've been brainwashed to think this, that if they surrender, they're going to be tortured, they're going to be killed, they're going to be, because that's what they're doing. You've saw, you've probably seen the videos. They're doing this to our POWs. Yeah. You know? So that that's what they think is going to be done to them. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a girlfriend like what I'm about to describe. Um, <laughs> you know, one of those that uh, has already lost any argument and they've gone completely insane and they try anything in their uh, power, anything in, in their mind to try and get back into your apartment and they'll, they'll threaten to call the police. They'll, they'll do anything. They'll cry. They'll smash things. That's exactly, it's, it's like uh, agonia in, in a, in a, in a, the agonia of a situation, agonia, agony, where uh, the life of a person or a, a thing or an idea is at its almost uh, end, and it's trying to do whatever it can to survive. Yeah, yeah. That's basic. I'm not going to say who. I don't want to, but I know a person. I mean, his girlfriend. Um, uh, she would. She would. She would sit in her car underneath his window, and she would cause a scandal and cry. And then when he was like, "I, I want to end this," she would like say things like she was going to, you know, end herself. And then she would say she's too drunk to drive anywhere. She wants to sleep over. And he's like, well, I'll drive you. And she's like, no, I don't want to. I want to come up, blah, blah, blah. And then if he were to you know, uh, listen to her, everything else would, would uh, restart. It's the same thing. It's a person or even a country in this case that's going to be in the stages of last stages of uh, agony or uh, agonia. Mm. agonia. It's basically they're, they're, they think they've been told so many times that they were going to be supported. And... Okay, let's circle back. Imagine Russia didn't do that defensive move. Ukraine moves into Donetsk and Lugansk. Uh, their systems are on uh, high alert. Their surface-to-air missiles are on alert. Um, NATO comes in, closes the airspace. If we want to get that airspace back and help our people, we have to shoot down NATO NATO planes. That means World it's War Three. Mm. It's a full-out war. I mean... Mm. And Putin that, knows that. And the, and NATO knows that as well, which is why this attack that 
people expected and not expected at the same time. Like at first, I, even I was joking on Facebook. I was like, there's no point for us to attack. And then Zelensky goes, we want a nuclear weapon. I'm thinking, oh, all right. Well, now it's probably going to be inevitable. So imagine. Yeah, and, and that's the reason why bumbling Biden hasn't um, made any maneuvers because he knows it'll lead to World War Three. And at the same time, how many times, and still maybe to this day, Zelensky kept asking, I mean, this is, he must not, either he must not care or he must, like, someone must be threatening him with his life and he doesn't want, he mm. wants to live. But uh, asking another country to establish a no-fly zone, basically yeah. causing World War Three. I mean, he's been begging for a no-fly zone. And I'm thinking, do you not know what that entails, man? Do you not understand that means that you, Ukraine doesn't exist? Poland doesn't exist? Cities in Russia don't exist? Cities in the U.S. don't exist? Maybe India and Pakistan think, oh, well, now it's time. I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. You know, and they'll start shooting nukes at each other. Like, don't you know the consequences of what you're trying to ask? Take a look at Malta's an island. Mm. It can't have sovereignty. It never had sovereignty. It never will. It has to be under someone, whether it's a North African country, whether it's Rome in history or the UK. They can't they can't feed themselves on their own. They have to import yeah. things. They, and that's the point. I mean, you countries are never fully sovereign. China is not fully sovereign because they have to sell their goods and products. Russia is not fully sovereign. Well, we have to sell our goods and products. Well, technically, you're quite correct. If you're talking, I mean, you've got central banks, for example, in most of the countries. And so yeah. that, that ruins the idea of sovereignty anyway so yeah, you're quite correct yeah. yes um so that i mean that's the case but uh it's there's one thing about living in russia that you don't get when you're living out in canada or in the states mm. is that and you're um, in moscow yeah i'm in moscow and it's that understanding that there are literally there are other countries and other people who really want to tear you into shreds and take what you have that, that's the feeling. You read uh, Western newspapers and you're like, that's not what's happening here. Why, why are you trying to brainwash our 15 and 16-year-olds to ruin their lives and go out and protest something they have no idea what they're even protesting about? Then they get uh, a fine and maybe now they're on record as being arrested for protesting. Bye-bye, good life. You don't now people living in Canada who are Russian uh, and they understand what's happening. They're being quiet because they fear that there might be uh, repercussions from the aggressive, not the regular, not the normal Ukrainian community, the aggressive Ukrainian community, because there are plenty of people out there who are like that. So they're quiet. Now it's kind of scary to be there and be Russian here. At least you're thinking, well, everyone else, most like most of the people are thinking just like I'm thinking. So at least if we're going to fight, we're not going to fight between us. We're going to fight against someone else together. There it's like, man, you have no idea who's coming into your house and when, because lots of people out there hate you for being what you are. Um, even if you support the government or you don't support the government, still you're hated because of where you're born and what you speak. So as far as on the ground, people here, yeah, there's some difficulties with jobs for some people. Most likely some people got let go, laid off or fired. Some people have to re-educate themselves, normal stuff. Of course, there's always anxiety where people are thinking, what's going to come next? Is it going to spill over into Russia? Um, are we going to win? If we don't win, we're screwed because our back is against the wall. We've put, 
we've put our cards on the table. We still have lots of good cards in mm. our back pocket, but we've laid out our cards in front of the world and said, that's what you're working with now. And then and mm. we're, we still have some stuff in our back pocket. I believe so. Um, because we haven't actually transferred all of our goods and services to uh, be bought by by the ruble. So, yeah, it's um, it's tough uh, mentally, especially if you want to go and visit somebody in, in Europe right now, for example, or somewhere else. It, it's tough. You can't travel. Yeah, you can travel through other countries. But, I mean, like, you know, you can go through Turkey. You can go through Serbia. But it's, di it's expensive and it's difficult, yes. It's expensive and it's difficult. So, mm -hmm. uh, and even then when you're traveling, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get to the border. They're going to look at me. They're going to see one thing. They're going to see another thing. What are they going to think? Are they going to let me through? Because it's always, it's, it's not, uh, your access to any country is not a right. It's a privilege. And the people who hold that privilege are the officers who look at you and look at your passport. They're not hold, but you know they can let you in or they can't not cannot let you in. So you know, I have one of my really close friends from Kharkov, from Ukraine. He's in Malta. I haven't seen him in like three years. You know, he was supposed to come to Moscow this year, actually, uh, in March, and then you know this whole thing happened. It's unfortunate that it has come to this. It's unfortunate that once again, history repeats itself. Once again, Russia has found itself to be in a position where it's against the collective Western countries, some of them who don't want to do this. A lot of the people in those countries don't want to do this. It's their governments who are doing it. We find ourselves in the same position we were in when Napoleon came to attack our land. We find ourselves in the same position uh, when uh, Operation Barbarossa, when that happened in 1941, exact same situation. The parallels are insane. But this time, this particular time, our government finally had the, had the, the ability to foresee something and to actually do something first. Not because anyone here wants it. Not because, you know, Russians are crazy and bad. No. We have millions of Ukrainians living here, free from any persecution. Mm -hmm. I have friends from Ukraine living here. There's not a single Western government entity or news media that can tell me that Ukrainians are persecuted here. I have friends working from Ukraine here. In fact, uh, People here are so intertwined. They have relatives in Ukraine. There are Ukrainian, uh, there are people with Ukrainian last names in the government here. And we were forced to do this. We tried to stop this from happening for seven years. Nobody listened to us. Nobody cared. They lied to us. They said those missile systems in Poland, they're against Iran and North Korea. I mean, I know Americans are terrible at geography, but we're not. We know where Iran and North Korea are, and we know where Poland is. We did not want this. We've been actively, as a country, working to establish good relations and trade relations. I mean, the Americans didn't like the fact that Europe was hooked up on our gas. Well, our gas is cheap, and it's clean compared to the American gas. 
And it's not like we were forcing them to buy it. No, it's cheap. You can buy it. You can build manufacturing plants. You can feed your people. You can buy fertilizer from us and, and feed your, yeah, uh, grow crops. You can build things, you know? One of the, one of the uh, thoughts, and it, it's not mine, for, I don't remember where I've heard it, but it's not mine. It's a, that if Germany and Russia were to actually join together in peace, it would be one really powerful relationship. Something that no other uh, uh, country that has been holding other countries in its grasp because it's an empire would want happening. Again, I, I hope that this ends re really quickly. And as I've said before, and you can you can you can look through this, President Putin really thought that the Ukrainian military would either either lay down their arms or take over the government, and then we could have a normal peace deal. That didn't happen. So he thought it was going to end quickly. I hope it ends quickly, and I hope that people will uh, will start realizing that nobody in Russia wants any more Ukrainians losing their lives. I'm talking about civilians here. Nobody. We all want mm -hmm. peace. We all want to live in peace. And more, moreover, we want to make sure that our borders are secure. And that's what's happening now. And it's come to that. And we tried to stop it with diplomacy. They didn't listen. We couldn't do it. When diplomacy fails... The military starts uh, doing the talking, and that's what's happening. Look, mm. look, look at geography. All you have to do is open a map of Europe. Just look at the map yeah. of Europe. Look where the countries are, and and you'll see that uh, Russia was trying to hook up to Germany. Russia mm. was trying to hook up to Turkey and to Bulgaria. The U.S. didn't like Bulgaria doing that in 2014 with John McCain preventing it from happening. Um, I think it was John McCain. So. We wanted to make sure that Europe gets cheap gas. America didn't want it because they want to sell their liquefied natural gas, which is a lot more expensive. Mm. So that's why they tried to, uh, that's why they take, took over Ukraine. That's why they wanted to take over Belarus. That's why they, the B Baltics hate us, even though uh, there was a lot of investment during the Soviet Union into the Baltic states. And mm. they have, you know. So, uh, yeah, so uh, basically the U.S. was trying to do what we were trying, trying to do to them through Germany. They wanted to do it through the Baltic states, and they succeeded in many ways. You can say that. PJ, who's watching now from Johannesburg, uh, he says that um, uh, an alliance between Germany and Russia would be extremely dangerous to Western powers, and NATO will do anything to stop, to stop that. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with him. That's, it, it's true. I mean, they're a technological powerhouse. We have all the resources necessary. We have the demand. So it 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 it's not something that anyone would want. Plus, we don't definitely don't want to fight each other. We've done that twice already over the past hundred years. It's not nice. Yeah, well, it didn't. It didn't end well for Germany. Yeah, I know, but still, it didn't really went. It ended better, but it still was devastating to us. So, mm. you know, where can people follow you? People can go on YouTube, um, and if if I don't get blocked why? on YouTube, Stan, why are you on YouTube and not on Odyssey? Because I just discovered Odyssey like two weeks or three weeks ago. 
<laughs> and I have, there's so many social platforms. People are like, open up a Rootube account. I'm like, no, that means I have to look after it. Open up a Telegram account. I'm like, no, I have to look after it. And it's the same. And now there's like Odyssey, there's uh, Rootube, there's Zen, there's Telegram, mm -hmm. then there's YouTube, then there's like a whole bunch of other ones. It's well, not BitChute, but there's a bunch of other ones that people use. And I'm thinking, just, just give me one. I want one. But uh, I have my Telegram, which is just... Uh, uh, telegram whatever slash s f i l i n o m i'll say i can send you the link mm -hmm. uh there's yandex zen which is a russian based uh which is a russian uh youtube i guess if you want to call it that um and of course i'm on youtube because you know it's it's big it's huge uh it's got its footprint mm -hmm. and if you want to get some information out there you might i might have to censor myself by saying that non-russian president or the other president that is not from russia has decided to say this about the people that are also not from Russia. And they may not be living in this particular general area, but they might migrate to the sky if they don't do this. You know, I might have to speak like that in the future, but I want to get the message out there that we're not bad people trying to make sure Ukrainians suffer. No. Stan from A Russian Opinion. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun, man. We should definitely do that again. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.